our scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4, page 1855 in the Bench Bibles. This time we'll read only the verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, page 1855, starting at verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then our text. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. These the very words of God. We'll begin with a little bit of an interpretation of 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, which later I'll bring into the sermon again. And then we're going to touch on a couple of people and one place before Christian and hopeful come to death. So, getting right into it. Verse 6, For I am already poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. Departure means death, of course. To Timothy is considered Paul's last letter. And then verse 7, I have fought the good fight. There's actually dual imagery here. One is the ancient Greek Olympics, which were so popular in Paul's day. The Olympics went on in ancient Greece for something on the a length of a thousand years, and the Christians finally shut them down about 400 A.D. because the main thing in the Olympics was the uh, gods <laughs> and the uh, temples to the gods on the site. After 400 A.D., the site became covered over with silt and sand and then was uh, discovered again uh, in the last couple hundred years. Linda and I had the privilege of visiting uh, ancient Olympia a year or so ago and I was deeply touched but also just deeply offended by the uh, temples to uh, Zeus and Athena before he ever got to the tracks but anyway the language here I have fought the good fight one of the Olympic things was the wrestling matches the fighting and the uh, athletes would fight sometimes to the death and based on the Olympics, the main place where they had them, there were other Olympics. And then the Romans built an arena, uh, lots of arenas. And in those arenas, the Romans would have fights between gladiators and wild animals. And then it degenerated to Christians were thrown into the arena. They still have the biggest one uh, mostly not even in ruins in Rome today, right next to the Vatican. We were there too and saw that. The Christians would be thrown in and the, the, the hungry lions were gnashing and, and attacking and killing them. That's the background. So when the apostle says, I have fought the good 
fight. He and his listeners knew what it was to fight in those days, in the Olympics and in the arena. And Bunyan takes that image of the Christian way. I fought the good fight, and then I have finished the race. The big thing is when the lions and bears and other animals are coming at you, do you run or do you face them? Do you face them any way you can till you die? And we have stories, especially from the first 300 years of the church. One girl named Herpatua, she was only about 20 years old. Her relatives begged her to denounce the faith, uh, the Christian faith, and affirm the pagan faith, and she could live. And she said, I will not. I'll stand up and face the lions. And she did, and they tore her to pieces. Part of life we don't know a lot about nowadays. She kept the faith, you see. And maybe you've heard the story of this 85-year-old uh, uh, bishop, Polycarp, you know, same situation as Perpetua. Uh, they almost baked him. Polycarp, it's the law. You have to worship the Roman gods once a year. Polycarp, I can't. Jesus is my Lord. And Lord was the big thing in those days. Uh, you, anyone could say, I believe in Jesus, Savior, and Christ's special person. But Lordship, who's Augustus? Who's the ruler of the universe? And the Christians said, Jesus is my Lord at the right hand of God, and I will not say Caesar is Lord. You're picking up from my voice, even though I'm trying to go through it a little quickly, what this text is about and, and how strong it was in its day. Uh, Polycarp, 80 and five years, I have been faithful to my Lord, and I will not be unfaithful now. Send out the lions at him, which they did. That's what happened in the arenas and places like that. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. And then the text for today. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. In the Olympics they got a wreath, pretty flowers, that said, you are the best. And the apostle, with that background imagery, is speaking of a crown like you crown kings. Not just a wreath, but a crown. And the most important jewel in that crown is right before God. Righteous. Righteousness meant a lot to him. Not wrong before God, but right before God. Through Jesus Christ, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Now, that much said to explain the text, I want to go back to Pilgrim's Progress, which is based on this text and others, and catch up a couple of things. My biggest problem is what not to say in two sermons, and I don't think we should have more than two. Last week we left Christian and his companion, Faithful, coming to a place called the Vanity Fair, which I choose as the most relevant place they visited for today. Bunyan tells us the Vanity Fair 
is present in all ages of history, and it is some more than others. The Vanity Fair is with us today, and we have to understand the Vanity Fair carefully. The Vanity Fair is not a vanity in a bedroom so much. Vanity means empty or meaningless, like uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And fair means a great big shopping mall. In ancient cities, they're Agra or shopping district. They all had them. In our time, something like a mall or um, a state fair or something like that. And the long story, because it is quite long in the Vanity Fair, is that people were there selling their wares and everything. And Christian and faithful approached the Vanity Fair, and they were rightly impressed. Got to say that part, too. And if they lived today, they would be super impressed if they could walk into a Costco or a shopping mall or a huge grocery store and see all of the wares. That's all good. Those are blessings from God. But what happens is that the best can become the worst when the best becomes an idolatry that takes over our lives in place of God. And that's what happened at the Vanity Fair. Christian and faithful walked in and the songsters in the hymn, the advertisers, whatever, they were saying, look at our wares and get fully involved in them. And Christian and Faithful's response was, in effect, praise God, but our first priority isn't here. Our first priority is with God himself. And if you're going to do things like, and I will put it in today's language, if you're going to do things like make a Sunday paper full of these sales that we're supposed to go to on Sunday instead of worshiping our God on Sunday, and only on Sunday do we get the good deal, forget it. If you're going to put your baseball on Sunday and your football on Sunday, which has done more to wreck Sunday than anything else I know, if you're going to put all that on Sunday and pay those who perform millions of dollars, which is what's important in a culture, and you're going to take over with your baseball or football or whatever sport or basketball, then there's something wrong. Then the good has become bad. Then the better has become worse. Now, that's what was wrong with the vanity fair. And behind that vanity fair is sin. And sin, in a way, is simple. Uh, sin. sin is me. Like Eve in Genesis 3, 5, when she saw that the fruit was good. And he delight to her eyes, she took and she ate in disobedience to God. That, that's humanism. I count. I, me, my, mine, my material, more and more for me. And oh my, how prevalent that 
materialism amongst us, secular culture, material, just taking over what should be the first priority God. That's the problem with the vanity fair. And Pilgrim or Christian and Faithful picked it up and then they put their fingers in their ears and they said, don't sing to me anymore because God comes first in my life. He's not going to be pushed out. Now, at that point, the two were hauled before Judge Hategood. <laughs> Lots of names in here, and accused accusations were made against them. Faithful was condemned to death, and there he died at the Vanity Fair. Faithful. The Christian somehow was given an escape and he continues on the second half of the journey. Now, the second half of the journey is fighting the good fight. It's walking the narrow way, if you remember back to the wicket, W-I-C-K-E-T gate. It's walking the narrow way, fighting the good fight. And they fought it at the Vanity Fair. Fighting the good fight. Keeping at it and being found faithful. Along the way to death, I'm going to mention three names of people they met because those are the three I judge most relevant to our times. One of the three that, oh, I should tell you first, Christian, uh, because of their testimony at the Vanity Fair, had one convert of the thousands. And his name is Hopeful. So Christian has a new companion, Hopeful. Christian and Hopeful continue the journey together. And one of the people they meet along the way is Mr. Presumption. He presumes or he assumes he's a Christian. Christian and Hopeful open the Bible and say, here's how you become a Christian. Presumption says, eh, forget that, I'm a Christian. We have a lot of them today. Read a stat this week that we have 250 plus million people in the United States, a vast majority who compare them, call themselves Christians. I believe it was about 80%. There aren't that many atheists, agnostics, and Islamics. And 100 million of them go to church, meaning one service a month. 250 million. 100 of them can darken the door of a church once a month or more, the church that Jesus loves. There's something wrong there, folks. The danger of presumption is with us. Second false professor they meet along the way is talkative. Oh, he can talk about how he's a Christian. But when it comes to the Christian walk, he doesn't walk it. You can't tell the difference between him and the world. There's nothing of what we called last week antithesis or standing away from the world's bad habits. Talkatives, religiosity, always conforms to the world. He's all talk, no walk. Warning again for our time. And then the third one is ignorance. Reformers were so against ignorance that they saw in the Middle Age church. 
Ignorance is content to know nothing about God. You show ignorance the Bible, his response is like presumption. Close that book and let me get on with my life. Or like talkative, close that book and don't talk to me about living the Christian life. And with ignorance it's, close that book and don't teach me anything more about God I don't need to know anymore. And in Pilgrim's Progress, I mentioned and will remind you, the ending of it is ignorance coming to God at judgment and hearing God say, depart from me, ye cursed one. That's as strong as Bunyan can speak against ignorance. And our world is filled with presumption, talkativeness, and ignorance. Thank you for being faithful, God's dear people here. But we're going to leave the journey there and come to the river of death and afterward today. Finally, Christian and hopeful reach the river of death. The Bible's Jordan River is the image or picture behind this river or death. The river of death is sometimes narrow, sometimes wide, sometimes calm, sometimes raging, just like the Jordan. For Christian, the river of death was raging. For hopeful, the river of death was calm. Together they enter the river of death. Christian says, quoting Psalm 116.3, The cords of death have entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I am overcome by distress and sorrow. Hopeful replies to him, quoting Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. What a beautiful thought. God's righteous right hand upheld them both through the river of death. Christian, the one who found dying so hard, and hopeful, the one who found it so easy. And my friend, the best picture I know to deal with people who struggle with dying and death is if you think you have trouble holding on to God with your hands and arms, God's hands and arms can hold on to you. His righteous right hand will not let you go. Such is your comfort. Your God is your strength, not you. See, I've used that story more than once. But we too must cross the river of death. How so? Not by the wrong theology that God saves everyone or gives a second chance, so-called, a second opportunity after this life or any kind of reincarnation. And certainly not by ignoring Jesus, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, how do we handle the river of death? You have to begin right. Be or become a Christian. Today is the day of salvation. 
2 Corinthians 6, 2. You want to finish well. Remember our text again. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. God's people, I suspect, know something about what the song is getting at when it says, Christian, dost thou see them on the holy ground? How they compass thee around, the devil and the demons? Christians know something about the question in the song, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, say? Christian and hopeful just picked up on the fact that the apostle was describing them too when he said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I kept the faith. But anyway, back to the main points. We too must cross the river of death unless we happen to be Enoch or Elijah. We too want to begin right. Today is the day of salvation. We too want to finish well, fight the good fight, keep the faith. And I might add, we too can expect dying grace. God, does, God gives us grace every day, but today it's living grace. And when the time comes to die, I think it will be dying grace. I've seen this often. I know I don't have dying grace today, but I believe the day will come when God will give you dying grace. And always keep in mind that with the death of a Christian, God wins and doesn't lose at that time of death. We have a beautiful hymn. How firm a foundation stands as two, three, and five. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with you in trouble to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. That soul that has leaned on Jesus for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. At last, Christian and hopeful are through the river of death, and they're led up into heaven by the angels. Now there they see people in that celestial city. We too will enter that celestial city, and we too will see people there. Now at this point, I must be very careful to quote scriptures and not give opinions, which I'll try to do because I haven't been there. But we too in heaven will meet people. In the Apostle Paul's language in our text, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance, Paul and many others. I have a question. 
I knew a wonderful 40-year-old Christian who died of cancer. And shortly before he died, he had a vision of his own loved ones who have gone on before saying, you're next, and we're ready to welcome you here. Do you think it's possible that when we're through the river of death, some of the first people we'll meet will be loved ones who have gone on before? Can't give you a proof text on that, but I've sure wondered. What I am sure of is that when we get to heaven, we will meet others, many others. The hymn writer of the Sea of Crystal, uh, by the Sea of Crystal, uses the word myriads. By the Sea of Crystal, saints and glory stand, myriads in numbers drawn from every land. Robed in white apparel, washed in Jesus' blood, they now reign in heaven with the Lamb of God. Out of tribulation, death, and Satan's hand, they have been translated at the Lord's command. In their hands they're holding palms of victory, and based on our text, hark the jubilant chorus sings triumphantly unto God Almighty, sitting on the throne, and the Lamb victorious be the praise alone God has wrought salvation. He did wondrous things. Who shall not extol thee, holy King of kings? And I might add that we in heaven will know joy like we've never known it on earth. And sad suffering will end. Revelation 21, 3 to 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look. God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Christian and hopeful who went to heaven, and there they met. The myriads also had for them in heaven a place prepared. Jesus said so before he died, John 14, verses 2 through 4. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that where I am, there you may be too. We too will have a place prepared when we get to heaven. We too will know the life and lifestyle described in that hymn, Jerusalem the Golden, by the way, dates from the 1100s, one of the oldest hymns in our hymn book. Jerusalem the golden, with milk and honey blessed, beneath thy contemplation sink heart and voice oppressed. I know not, oh, I know not what joys await us there, what radiancy of glory and bliss beyond compare. So, Christian and hopeful, and we too, 
will cross the river of death. Christian hopeful, and we too will see saints gone on before. Christian and hopeful, and we too will have a place in heaven. And Christian and we too will there have the vision of God. Vision of God. In the Hebrew mindset, vision of God was the ultimate and best end anyone could hope for or imagine. Hebrew thinking was that in Eden, in some sense, Adam and Eve had a vision of God. Later, Moses, the one who came down from the mountain with his, you know, face shining, uh, glory of God. Glory means, first of all, weighty or worthy. He meant the weighty, worthy one of the universe. The result was his face shone so much that to people it was like looking in the sun. Moses asked for a vision of God. Exodus 33 tells us, God said, no one can see me who's alive in this life now. You, as it were, are going to see only my glory passing by, which is like seeing me from behind, but my face you will not see. And then in Hebrew, thinking became, but when we get to heaven, Earth's restraints are no longer restraining us. Then we can see God face to face. 1 John 3, 2. John says it. And then we shall see him face to face, the vision of God. You sang about it earlier in that one hymn. We shall have a vision of God himself in heaven. And we shall praise him and worship him there. It'll only be natural. It won't be boring to worship. We will worship the Almighty One. The Lord God Omnipotent. Revelation 19.6. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. And like Handel, the oratorial writer, put it in his great Hallelujah chorus, King of kings, Lord of lords, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. With that, we're going to leave Christian and hopeful and myriads of others in heaven because this sermon is about us. You're here below, I'm here below. So some simple applications. First this, ask and answer the right questions. Remember how Christian started when he was still pilgrim in the city of destruction? <clears throat> life, life, give me life. How do I get this burden off my back? I've read in the Bible that I'm condemned to die and after the judgment and I'm not ready for either one. What are the answers? The answers are God and God's salvation through Jesus Christ. In every age, there are religious 
totems and taboos, ours too, we just don't see them well when they're our own. I'm told a few generations ago, taboos, things you may talk about, were death and sex. <laughs> that sure had changed. But the taboo now is God. In public life, you can be ridiculed for even asking the right questions about God. Dear people of God, we must not, in spite of our culture, conform to the totem, that's what you must worship, of no God in public and life. Instead, we must stand apart from the taboo of main talk about God. Ask and answer the right questions. Number two, have faith and be faithful. And you know, in a way it's so simple. Faith, I've showed you this before. I have faith in this chair to hold up my weight. What you need is Christian faith, faith in God, and then to be faithful. Remember again the language of our text. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Told you before of my 90-year-old father being interviewed, and after an hour and a half of his talking about his Grand Rapids childhood, I interfered and praised him for his faithfulness. That's what counts. And at judgment, God is going to reward his people by saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So, have faith, be faithful. Our text just shouts that faithfulness. Next. The providence of God is for you. I want to comfort you and help you feel what, hate, what uh, hopeful is, is echoing in Pilgrim's Progress. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The providence of God goes with you. The predestination of God is for you. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The predestination of God is on your side every day. The calling of God to be faithful to him goes with you. The justification that's yours never falls away into condemnation. The glorification of God awaits you. Also, the perseverance of the saints goes with you. You've heard of that doctrine, right? Perseverance of the saints. It's like preservation, like you can fruit in late summer and it's preserved. The perseverance of God goes with you, saint. Also, the presence and power of God go with you day by day. Romans 8, 37 through 91 says it this way. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Continue in the way, my friends. Take the words of our text with you. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me in that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. I heard the song of triumph. They and we too will sing forevermore, singing, Jesus has redeemed us to suffer nevermore. Then looking once more backward, they and two, that we too, if we view the race we've run, we will shout loud hosanna, deliverance has come. Then palms of victory, crowns of glory, palms of victory, we shall wear. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for saints gone on before, like the pot and pan maker, John Bunyan, and for the grace you gave him in that prison for holding the wrong kind of worship services to write Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful word picture explanation of the apostles' so-called swan song, his death song. And my prayer is that we may be corrected, if need be, by people like presumption, talkative, ignorance, but also challenged to continue on the way. May we too be Christian and faithful, like faithful who lost his life at the Vanity Fair. And may we be hopeful as we continue the journey like hopeful who went with Christian the rest of the way. And we too look forward to that day when we will have a home in heaven. Amen.